good to see all of you this morning. We are finishing up a series uh, today that we've started a number of weeks ago, just talking about the story of Christmas. The series is called It's Personal. It's Personal. And we've been, we've been uh, you know, looking at some different, uh, different characters in the story. We've been looking at some of the different topics of Christmas. And we sang about some of these things this morning, these ideas of, of love and of joy, you know, of peace. Uh, peace so unexplainable. It was one of the lyrics. You know, it's, it's great that God, you know, for God so loved the whole world. That's great, but it doesn't matter really unless you know that he loves you. If you don't know that he loves you, it's just a thought. You know, this idea of hope for the whole world, it's great as a thought, but unless you know that you can put your hope in him, it's all it is, just a thought. You know, this idea of coming every week and being a part of church and sitting here and listening for an hour or less, uh, hopefully, this is the, uh, that's that thought of, you know, if that's all that it is, you miss out on something because this whole uh, thing was designed to be personal. So today I want to share some things. We got the Skit Guys uh, video. Been listening to some Andy Stanley stuff, so I'll share a little bit uh, of stuff from the, uh, of his thoughts on it as well. But I just want to finish up this series today. So if you've, it's not, because it's a series, we've been talking about one thing for a while. This is not going to have everything uh, in it. There's a number of them you can find online. But um, as well, I would encourage you to think about this idea and these thoughts about it being personal. If you could answer the questions at the end, is what we've talked about today, is it personal for me, or is it just an, is it a concept, an idea? So we've looked at a number of real people in the Christmas story. I just want you to look around at the people beside you for a minute. Just take a look at that person beside you. <laughs> Without, yeah, trying not to laugh, I, I know. But it's because there's real people sitting beside you. You know, real people, when we look at the Christmas story and we read the Bible, sometimes we forget that these were real people. Mary was a young teenage girl. Joseph, you know, these, these two who traveled as, as basically as refugees out of, their, out of their country even for a while. This idea of real people making these incredible journeys. Zachariah and Elizabeth, an elderly couple praying and believing God for a child. You know, you think, man, we think of these people sometimes as just characters in a story. But real people, Herod and the wise men, real people. And so we've looked at a number of these real people who played a real part in this real story. And uh, it was for, not just for back then, but for the benefit of the world. And we want to look at one final group of people today that played a part in this story. And so Matthew and Luke are the ones that we've, we've read about their accounts and their versions of, of what happened in the birth narrative of Jesus. We, we've learned that Matthew, he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He hung out with Jesus. He wasn't writing stuff that, that, he, hadn't, um, that he hadn't been um, uh, around and a witness to. And so as Matthew's writing stuff, he writes about Jesus' birth. He would have talked to Mary. He would have, he would have known these things. But he was writing specifically to Jewish people. He was Jewish, writing to Jewish people, trying to help them understand that this Jesus is the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And so that's something we looked at as we were reading through. But I don't know if there's too many Jewish people here this morning. So as you read through Matthew, and you might, you might miss some of the things. There might be a few. Christmas Sonica, right. So uh, there's, there's others, though. Most of us, we're not. We're Gentiles, which is just not Jewish. And Luke was somebody who wrote to a Gentile audience. He was writing to people who w- wouldn't have understood all the Jewish customs. And, and Luke, he wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus. He had never met Jesus. He, didn't, he wasn't following Jesus literally on the planet when he was here. But he knew that there was all these stories going ar- around about people who had been with Jesus. And so he went and he found as many of the eyewitnesses as possible and he asked him, tell me your story. And so he begins his story. He doesn't begin his, his letter uh, called Luke. He doesn't begin that letter with, you know, once upon a time 
or in a galaxy far, far away. He's telling, he's telling a true story. He's writing history. And so he starts with what actually happened. He says, I went and I talked to all the eyewitnesses, and I, I put together an orderly account. If you want to have a better understanding of you know, what Jesus' uh, life was all about, Luke wrote it in a way that, that you and I could better understand. And he was writing history. He was writing the what that happened. Later on, we're going to look at John, who wrote about the why it happened. But Luke's writing the what. He's saying, this is what actually happened. And he writes about the eyewitnesses. So when we looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth, it was Luke who wrote their eyewitness accounts. They were there, and he said, tell me about it. Mary, he, uh, he wrote her account. He, was, he had met her and said, tell me about it. And then there was a few other eyewitnesses that he talked to, and he wrote their story. And, and you'll find it in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Give you a chance to find that there. It's closer to the back. Uh, a lot of red letters there. Luke chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen here. It says uh, this. Now they were in the same country, shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And it just simply puts this thing of here's some regular guys doing what they regularly do. They're working the night shift. It's just another regular night shift until all of a sudden it wasn't. Just a regular day at at work, and then it wasn't. And so we want to just take a quick look at the skit guys. They'll show us what it might have looked like that night just outside of Bethlehem on their regular night of work. Wait, 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 wait. Someone has to watch the sheep. What are you talking about? Someone has to watch the sheep. They're sheep, okay? They, they eat, they poop, they sleep. They'll be fine. Let's go. That is the same thing that you said when you wanted to go see the Mutton and Sons concert, and we saw it, and we lost half our flock. We Angel lost half our... Sam! Angels! They just popped out of the sky, and instead of sprinting to Bethlehem, you're all like, no, oh, we, we got to take care of the sheep. What about their abandonment issues? Hey, guys. I'm going to race you, okay? Last one there is the stinky loincloth. Let's go! Look, okay? The angels are there, okay? That, that's what they do. That's why we call them guarding angels. No, 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 it's guardian angels. Guardian. Tomato, tomato! Who cares? Why are we still standing here? Someone needs to watch the sheep. You know it, I know it, and the sheep know it. Sheep don't feel. You can't prove that. Fine. There's only one way to solve this. Rock parchment shears. Loser stays with the sheep. Rock, Rock parchment shears, shoot! Rock parchment shears, shoot! Rock parchment shears, shoot! Today. Today. In the town of David, a savior will be born unto you. Right. Why did the angel say that? Why did the angel tell a bunch of lowly shepherds about the coming of the Messiah? I mean, why us? I don't know why us, but they did. So maybe, maybe this Messiah didn't just come for, for people that matter. Maybe he came, maybe he came for people like us, which is all the more reason why we need to go. I know, and I want to. It's just a lot to take in. It's been a crazy night. Hey, did, did you see? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you see how fast I was running over there? I was like, a, 
lightning bolt. But um, no, you guys are never gonna believe this. Um, I forgot my good cloak. <laughs> Can you imagine me meeting the Messiah without my good cloak? <laughs> that would be ridiculous. I can't even. I'll see you. Let me bottom line this for you. Okay, I, for one, cannot not go see this Messiah. Okay, so if what you're saying is that I, instead of seeing the man who's going to change everything, have to stay here and sheep sit, well, that just won't work for me. You're right. You're right. But before we go, I'm not trying to nitpick, but you said cannot not, and that's a double negative. It is. Promise me when we go meet the Messiah, you cannot not talk like that. Promise me you won't talk like that to the Messiah. Promise me. He's a baby. He's in swaddling clothes. I don't think he's gonna care how we do. Mm. Okay, fine. Me talk pretty. Let's go. Wait. I think I just solved our problem. What? What, what are you guys still doing here? What, what are you waiting for? It's the king of kings, okay? So less standy, more runny. Frank, take a knee. Okay. We were playing Rock Parchment Cheers. Oh, yeah? You lost. Oh. Oh, the shepherds. Regular shepherds just out in there. Out, uh, it says in Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 9, he says, They were just out in the fields watching sheep at night, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. They're just minding their own business, just doing their everyday thing, and then something grabs their attention, and it says that an angel shows up, and these guys are terrified. You know, when you hear the word angel, what comes to mind? Do you think of that little baby, you know, with a harp, you know, kind of th- sailing around on a little cloud, or you think about... What, what do you think about this, you know, beautiful being? Uh, for one, as you think about this idea of an angel showing up, Luke writes, we don't, we don't ever really, you know, get, um, uh, greatly understand exactly how scared they were. Luke writes it in, in, uh, in, in his version. He uses all of the possible ways that you can use the word fear, and he puts them all together. He writes the adjective, he writes the verb, and he writes the noun. He's basically saying these guys had a mega scary fear, like terrified of this thing. Sometimes we have people, like they say, you know, oh, I, yeah, you know, I saw a vision of Jesus, or, you know, I had God, to, you know, he, I saw him, and he talked to me, and he, like, this question of, you know, like, were you scared? Were you terrified? Oh, no, not at all. And yet every account in the Bible where somebody sees God or sees a vision or whatever, they are terrified. This angel is like probably massive with like a flaming sword and eyes of fire. Something that scares like the tough guys. When we look at the shepherds, these are these manly men. They're more like Bob DeVries than like me. You know, they're like tough, manly guys, rugged guys. We're not scared of anything. These are the night shift guys who are like protecting sheep, chasing off all of the thieves and, and wild animals. And these are the guys, they're not scared of anything, are terrified. This great fear overcomes them. And they have this mega scary fear when an angel shows up. And you know, I thought about that because a lot of times that's something that actually affects all of us. There's this fear sometimes when it comes to God. This, this idea of when God shows up or when, when, when uh, we think that God has something to say to us. Or if we end up in church, we're like, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a little bit scared of what God might, might say. And the angel comes to them and he says this, do not be afraid. 
And he says that to them. He says, you know, don't be afraid because you don't need to be. You don't need to be afraid when God wants to talk to you. Sometimes you hear that idea of God, you know, he, God wants to talk to you. It's like getting called to the principal's office. You know, as a, as a kid in school, like when they buzz your name, you go to the principal's office and the whole school knows. You're not usually thinking that's going to be a real good sign. Or maybe it's your boss's office. You get called into the boss's office while you're supposed to be working. You're like, oh, man, this, this thing inside. And for some of you who you don't go to school and you don't have a job, sometimes, uh, you know, it's like I've even experienced this where, where for a while I was texting some of our kids' ministry workers and some of our other volunteers, just reminding them of stuff. And I would text them and I'd be like, hey, can I call you? And all of a sudden, they would like, what's this about? You know, I'd be like, and at some of them I talked to and they're like, oh, man, I was like scared. You know, you, you never want to call me. And it's like, people call people. That's normal. But as soon as, like, the pastor calls, it's like this fear on the inside of, like, something. I might get found out, you know. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you have that sometimes. I think it, people get that. We've had it where people have come to church, and they've, they've thrown their hat into the building just before they come in to see if it caught on fire because they were scared. Literally, this is a true story. They're scared to come in because they're like, God wants, like, it's scary, we have this thing in us, this fear on the inside of us. Um, Mark Twain, uh, there's a number of people that had uh, shared this story, but Mark Twain wrote about it, and he just said, I sent a telegram to 12 of my friends. Didn't write who it was from. All I wrote on the telegram was, all has been discovered. Flee at once. He says, all 12 of them skipped town the very next day. We all have these things sometimes on the inside. that are like, ugh, you know, I... I don't know that I want God knowing, or if God's going to talk to me, I'm sure it's going to be bad. And these shepherds would have had that same thought, you know, uh, it's going to be bad. And yet the angel said, listen, you don't need to be afraid. I've got good news for you. In verse, the rest of verse 10, he says, for behold, I bring you glad tidings, which is just good news, of great joy. The same great, they, they had great fear, mega fear. He's like, you don't need to be scared at all, because what I want to tell you should bring you great joy, mega joy. And it's to be to all people. A good message that's going to make you happy. You know, the question is, why would God announce this, um, this major announcement to shepherds? Of all people, why would it be the shepherds? If you're going to tell something that important, why not tell the king? Why not tell the person who can spread the news the fastest? Why not tell the local criers, the people who would go from town to town, to, to let everyone know? Why not tell the, the priests, the, the religious people, why not tell them first? It's all about what they've been waiting for. Why not tell them first? You know, if you have this, this great news that, that, that he shares, he shares it with the shepherds because he said this is a message for all people. And so down the road, no one could ever deny that it was for, for everyone. This message wasn't just for the rich. It wasn't just for the important. It just, wasn't just for good people. It was for everyone. This idea that Jesus came for everyone. God gets this message saying, hey, you know, I had a baby and it's a boy and I'm going to tell the shepherds. I thought about that. Who do you tell when you, when you have that, that moment where you're, you know, your, your child is born? Who did you call? I remember when, when Reese was born. We were in the hospital, and, and Reese was born, and she was born in the middle of the night. We're like, we got to call people. And, and Beth's like, we got to call my mom. I'm like, no, we got to call my dad. And, and she's like, no, we got to call my mom first. I'm like, I have the phone. She's like, I had the baby. I'm like, okay, we'll call your mom first. And so we call in the middle of the night. It's that moment. Hey, yeah, we have a baby to go. Ah! It was exciting, right? And then secondly, it was my parents, and then down the line. Well, who did you call? You know, you probably called your parents, and then you called your, you know, the other parents, and then the siblings, and then you call, you know, your close friends, then you call your family members you don't like so much, just to make sure they do know and hear from family, then you kind of tell the world on Facebook or whatever you guys do. Back then, we didn't have the opportunity, and then usually somewhere down the line, after everyone, co-workers, everyone finds out, then you let the pastor know, and then the shepherds. <laughs> I feel that way, by the way. Sometimes I'm like the last person to find stuff out. You guys need to let me know stuff sometimes. It's exciting. But... 
But you think about it. It's that first person you tell. You go and you tell somebody that matters. And Jesus, you know, it's when he's born and God's like, I got a boy. I got a son. It's a boy. He goes and tells these people who everyone, including them, would have thought they're not that important. When it came to importance, they, they worked in a low-class job. Think of the worst job possible. Maybe it's being a crossing guard at a school or, you know, maybe it's, uh, just kidding, my brother's here. He does that. So maybe it's, <laughs> I told you I'd put it in there. Uh, Whatever the worst possible job could be, this is like low, the lowest of the, the low. Nobody wants this job. It's a job you have maybe, you know, and you'll keep it for a week to try and get somewhere else. It was a job that was looked down upon by most cultures, including their own. If you, this was like the job that people looked at and thought, meh, you know, those people, they're not, they're not important. When it came to relationships, they were stereotyped as being incompetent people. They were stereotyped as being uneducated people, stereotyped as being thieves. It was said, there was, there was laws, different laws written that if you bought something from a shepherd, uh, it was forbidden to buy something from a shepherd when they came to town in certain towns simply because they assumed that it was stolen. That was just the way it was. These guys were, these guys were no good, so they were used to being kind of the outcasts. And when it came to religious things, these were the guys who were never, ever ceremonially clean enough to ever go to the temple. They raised the lambs for everyone else's sacrifice, but they were always unclean. So when religious people saw them, the Pharisees and religious people saw shepherds, these guys, I mean, when you follow a thousand sheep around, you step in sheep stuff. So you're no longer clean or ceremonially clean. They were never accepted by religious people and always felt they were never accepted by God. It would have been their thing that they knew and everyone else would have known as well. And yet it's to them that he comes first. So if you're sitting here this morning, you think, you know, I don't know what God thinks about me. I feel like, you know, I'm not, I don't really measure up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that important, you know, in, in maybe in life where you have those feelings about yourself. Or maybe you feel like I'm not really that good. You know, I'm, I'm here because it's Christmas. Somebody dragged me. They'll take me out of the will if I don't come. So I'm here. But, and you feel like, ah. Uh. And maybe you're here every week and you have those feelings like, I, I just don't measure up. It was those people that he came to. And for those of you who think you do measure up, you're lying. You know, he came for you too. <laughs> it's, that, it's that idea of this is who he came for. He came for all people. And he came and said, you know what? Listen, you're not in trouble. I've got good news for you. And Jesus reiterated later in life when he called Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector and he said, come follow me. And everybody's like, tax collectors? It was tax collectors and sinners. These were the worst people possible. And now I'm thinking it's probably tax collectors and shepherds. You know, these are the people that nobody wants to hang out with them. Mark writes about it. He says, when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating, Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples. They didn't ask Jesus. They went and asked his disciples, hey, hey, why does he eat with such scum? And Jesus, who's awesome, just overhears every conversation and he just answers their question that they're whispering about. Hey, uh, the answer to that is uh, this. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I didn't come to call those who think they're righteous. I didn't come to call those who think they're good. He says, I called to um, those who know that they're sinners. And that word sinners, we don't, we don't like that word. It's not a word we, we love to hear, especially if you're sitting in church like, oh, that's not the word I want to, that's not the word I want to hear. We, we like to, we prefer to say that, you know, I'm not really a sinner. I make some mistakes, you know, but the, but the whole question, the whole thought is, if, have, you ever, have you ever done something you knew was wrong and you still did it anyway? You know, those are the things that, that God calls sin. We're like, okay, yeah, I probably could admit that I haven't really lived up to God's standards. Yeah, I could admit that. But I think we could also admit that we haven't even lived up to our own standards. 
No, it's not just God's standard. We, we make, you know, resolutions for ourselves, you know, sometimes annually that we don't keep. We have these ideas, you know, I want to be this kind of a dad. I want to be this kind of a husband, and, and then we're not. We, we know that we don't even live up to our own standards for ourselves, and yet it was the fact that God came first to people like us and said, listen, I've got good news for all people. You're not in trouble. I've got good news for you. Luke chapter 2, he carries on. He says in verse 11, the message is this, for there is born to you. Those words are so important. He says today, for there is born to you this day. Why? Because it's personal. He came and said, it's not to, to everyone. He says, to you in the city of David, a Savior. Here's where we get the idea of a personal Savior. This idea of someone who came to save me, to save you. And says, it's Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. He gives them the simple message, three things. Find a baby. Yeah, we've seen that before. You know, swaddling clothes. Yeah, that's normal. Lying in a manger. Okay, that's different. So now we know what we're looking for. And I think he probably gave it a simple message because it was probably men. And, you know, we can't remember things more than three things. You know, my wife gives me a shopping list. If it's more than three things, I'm just bringing home whatever I saw uh, at the store. These things, he says, here it is, simple, just a simple thing. These three things is what you're looking for. And it's that same simple message, not that one, but a simple message that he's given to each of us as well about trusting in a Savior that he came. You're not in trouble. I came for you. Luke chapter 2, he says in verse 13, and suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Suddenly there's angels everywhere, an army of them, but they're not scared. But here's, you know, this thought, and we're going to talk about it in our next series, you know, how to have a happy new year. You don't want to miss that series, but we're going to talk about this idea of peace. See, because, you know, he says, and so, and, and so many skeptics of, of Christianity and faith talk about this one verse saying, you know, he says when Jesus came, there'd be peace on earth. And they have this idea, this thought of that meaning world peace. You know, he came, and we haven't seen world peace. The Pope prayed about it uh, in, his, in his Christmas prayer that there would be peace on earth because there just isn't. Miss Universe, you know, that's their, that's their number one thing. You know, if you could have anything on it, oh, we want world peace. And then their promoter, whatever his name is, Steve Harvey, almost causes a war between Colombia and the Philippines, you know, just by giving the wrong award to the wrong person. World peace. You two sings about it, you know, this peace on earth. We haven't seen it. What's it worth if there's no peace on earth? What's this idea of Christmas worth if there really is no peace on earth? And it's this struggle, this idea of peace. And yet, you know, for some who think this proof the Bible is not relevant because Jesus came, brought peace on earth, yet we haven't seen it. He's talking about a different kind of peace, not the kind of peace that's the absence of war, the absence of struggle, the absence of storms in your life. He's talking about the kind of peace you can have in war, during storms and during struggles, that there's this peace that does, just doesn't make any sense. You know, I've seen that where parents have been sitting in a hospital with their child laying in a bed who needs brain surgery. There's absolutely nothing that they can do, and yet they're sitting at that bedside with this incredible peace. I remember sitting in a hospital, and the people around us, when Beth and I were in the hospital and Lincoln was there, they were like, man, like, how can you, there's just something about you guys as you go through this journey that there's this peace. And it's like, you're right. It's kind of unexplainable that we should have uh, this kind of peace, but, but we do. And it's this idea of he came to bring that kind of personal peace. Because my question is this. And we can think about world peace and, you know, hoping that there's going to be peace in this world. But what good is that if there's war in your marriage? What good if there's peace on earth, but there's war in your family? If there's war with yourself? Some of you are so, you so self-loathe who you are. 
There's just, just no peace on the inside. You're just always struggling with this idea of who you are and not and, and hating yourself. No inside peace. Next series, we want to talk about that idea of having peace with you, with God, and with others. But he came that you would have peace. And what good is it if it's not personal? The message is that he came to bring peace for you in, the, in this world. And the shepherds, it talks about their response to the message. I think there's something we can all learn from this. Verse 15, he says, So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us, let us, why it's personal, let us now go to Bethlehem and see Let's go and find out for ourselves this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, which means they desired it earnestly, so they, they, they were going as quickly as they could. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Do you know these shepherds? They didn't go and try and clean up their clothes. They didn't try and go find anything else. They simply went the way they were. And the message is this. You are already accepted no matter what. That will always be the message to all because Jesus has come saying, listen, you, all you need to do is respond. He says, you're already accepted. You don't have to try and do something to get there. Just come. And in verse 17 says, when they had seen him, when they responded and they had seen the Savior, when they knew him for themselves, they started telling everybody about what had happened that night concerning this child. You know, we've been, I was part of a small group where we were talking about living out our faith. And our group leader would encourage us to go out and share our faith. And there was this resistance in our group specifically. There's guys like, I don't want to go door to door. You know, I don't want to go knock on doors. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's like, and, and others were struggling with this idea of, well, I, if we feel forced to share the good news, is it, you know, there's something wrong. And as I read through this, I read that these shepherds, they didn't go out and tell the good news until they had seen them for themselves. Until they'd seen him for themselves. And I think sometimes it's that idea of, of this, the, the, the response is that people have just have allowed this thing to be a concept. An idea. The pastor said this, so this is what I should share with people and have not seen it for themselves. Because as you see it for yourself and it becomes personal, all you have to share is what you've seen and what you've heard. If you haven't seen it, if you haven't heard it, you don't need to share it. But he's saying that simple thing, come and experience it personally. Because that's what it's all about it says they shared it with people. Some people, it says they, they wondered about it because shepherds are telling it. Those people don't know anything. Mary, it says, pondered it in her heart. Luke chapter 2, verse 20, it finishes the story of the shepherds by saying they returned. The shepherds returned back to their fields, to, to, uh, uh, back to the sheep, but glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen as it was told to them. You know, the thing is, they were still shepherds. For some, you think, you know what, if I really follow God with my whole heart, he's going to, like, make me do something I don't want to do. He's going to make me be a missionary to Africa or, like, worse, turn me into a pastor or something. And you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, follow God wholeheartedly because I just want to work at U.S. Steel or, you know, I want to be a mechanic. And the interesting thing is that even though these shepherds were completely changed, they went back to where they were. They still were shepherds, but there was something different about them. They went back praising God. They had a new opinion of who God was. The God that they were never able to measure up to had accepted them. They were praising him and glorifying him. And it's the same thing for you. As you see and experience it personally, you just take it wherever you are. As a farmer, working wherever you might be, you know, as a mechanic, as a garbage man, as a crossing guard, wherever you are, sharing that love of Jesus sharing what you've seen, what you've heard. The outsiders have become insiders. These were the first eyewitnesses of, of, this, of this miracle birth that the Savior had come. 
And what's so interesting is Luke writes it down. And why is it interesting? Because Luke writes down this account and this story. If you think back, we take writing for granted. We can type so quick. We can write. Back then, it was a big deal to write stuff down. You didn't just write anything down, papyrus or whatever you had to carve on, on tablets or whatever. It was big work. So it was got to be something important if you were going to write it down. They didn't write stories about shepherds, common people. They didn't write stories about carpenter's sons. The reason they wrote it down is this, that something happened. When you read in verse 15, the shepherd said, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that happened. Something happened that night in Bethlehem. And the fact that we have four accounts, four people who wrote down these things about the life of, of Jesus means something happened. They're not writing about this otherwise. And it's not that, you know, we're not followers of Jesus Christ just simply because there's a Bible. We're followers of Jesus Christ because something happened. A baby was born that night, but something happened 33 years later that made them realize we got to write all this stuff down. That same baby grew up to be a man. That same man, that, that, that baby that Mary knew, this is the son of God. She watched as her oldest son die on a cross, was buried in a grave, and then something happened that had never happened before. A man rose from the dead. Something so incredible. They only wrote about kings and what generals did. But these four men said, he rose from the dead. We'll do whatever it takes to write this down and make sure people have an opportunity to read this some, at some point. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote the what that had happened John, who was a follower of Jesus, an eyewitness of Jesus, he, he was somebody who hung out with Mary. He was the one that Jesus said, hey, John, take care of my mother, you know, after I'm gone. So she, John would have heard the accounts of Jesus' birth, yet he doesn't write anything about it. When he writes his version, he, he writes it way later on, after he had seen Jesus die, after most of his friends had died, after he had seen um, the, the temple destroyed, after he'd seen everything go wrong. He wrote about who Jesus was, and he started right away with writing, this is personal. Let me tell you about Jesus. Give me two minutes to share this last thought with you. Don't miss this part. John wrote the why, the why for you and me, why it matters today. In verse 14 of, of, of his letter, he wrote this, so the word became human. God became human and made his home among us. This thing just got real personal for them. God came to live among us. And as he's writing this, as he's figuring out how to write this down for people to read, he's like, this is going to be confusing for people. Because they, were, they lived under Roman culture. They lived in these areas where every, the, the Roman uh, Caesars all claimed themselves to be gods, to be deities. He's, he's writing this. He realized that every person around him None of them would think this idea that God would come down. That doesn't make any sense. Anybody who wanted to be a God or a deity wanted that so they could go up, that they could be higher. None of them came lower. And as he wrote about it, he says, you know what? He became human. He lowered himself. He came and he lived with us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we, we've seen his glory. This isn't a story. I was there is what John is saying. I've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And he's writing about this, trying to explain to people, how, you know, that God would, would lower himself. 
He says, they're going to have a little bit of trouble understanding this. And as I was studying this and thinking about this thought as well, I was reminded of the story of an old farmer. He's on Christmas Eve staying home that night, you know, in his, in his house. Uh, he had trouble with this thought too. He's like, I don't believe that God's real. Why would a God lower himself to become human? It doesn't make any sense. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't gel with me. And so his wife, he let her go with the kids to church and he stayed home. And that night as, as he's sitting there, you know, by his fireplace, a snowstorm blizzard comes in. And as he's sitting there, you know, safe and warm, all of a sudden he hears thump, thump, thump on the side of his house. And he, he goes out to see what it is. And as he looks, he sees that a whole flock of geese has been just blown into his backyard. And a few of them had hit the house and they're all kind of not sure where to go. They're all lost and just fluttering around in his backyard. And he realizes these geese, you know, they're kind of in trouble. He says, I'm just, I'll go to my barn and I'll open up the barn and let the geese in. It's warm. It's safe. They'll be fine there. So he goes out to the barn and he opens the doors, but the geese won't go in. And so he thinks, how am I going to get these geese into that place? And so he runs out and he, he starts calling the geese to come into the barn. And of course, the geese do not respond. And so he runs out and he tries to chase the geese. And it's like herding cats. They all go the other way. And he says, you know, none of the geese would go into the, into the barn. So he goes in the barn and he gets some feed and he lays out a line of feed from, you know, from the field towards the barn door, hoping these geese would find this place of safety. But they don't go for the feed and they definitely don't go to the barn door. And he's exasperated, realizing they could all freeze to death, potentially. He, he just wants to see them warm and safe. And the thought comes to his mind. He, he thinks, you know, if only, if only I could become a goose, I could lead them into that safety. And all of a sudden for him, that moment, this whole idea of God becoming human made sense. Why would God lower himself to become human? That if he became human, he could lead us to that place of safety. That, that he could provide even the way of safety. And as John wrote, he says, you know what? I want you to realize something. This is different than everything you've ever seen or experienced. God came down to come close to you. And he came as a baby because babies, it's so, you know, uninhibitive. You see like this little uh, Asher. He could just, every one of you would gladly just take and hold this little baby. There's nothing scary. He came to come close. And his message was, you're not in trouble. I want to come close to you. I want it to be personal. In verse 12, he says, but as many, not, not didn't name certain people. He just said, whoever, whoever receives him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. And John does something here that's never, had never been done, you know, anywhere else in the writings of the, of the Bible. He took this word believe and this word in and he put them together. This idea of believing in. He didn't say those who believe that. For so many, it's this idea of, yeah, we believe that there's a God. Yeah, I believe that Jesus existed. Yeah, I believe that the Christmas story is true. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, the idea is this, that those who believe in those who trust in, those who put their faith in, those who transfer their weight from themselves to something else. He says, this is what it's all about. Those who take that step of believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus, he says he's given them the right to become children of God because it's personal. It's personal. He ends his book by saying, and truly Jesus did many other signs and wonders in the presence of his disciples. I didn't write them all in this book, he says, but these ones, the things that I've written about, including what we've just read, they were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He's saying this idea was that you might believe, that it would be personal for you, not somewhere you attend on a weekend, not something that, you know, is just kind of an idea or a concept, but you. So my question today is, is it personal for you? 
As John wrote everything, he wrote the most famous verse in the Bible, which probably most of you have heard or seen, maybe at a baseball game, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, and he puts those words back together, believes in. Not believes that. Not just like I see so many people are going through tough stuff, Christians, like, hey, how's your, how's your relationship with God? Oh, I believe that there's a God. I pray to him. I didn't ask that. How's your relationship with God? Because if you miss out on the relationship with him, you've missed out on everything. That is the whole reason why he came, is that it would be you and me doing life together, listening for his voice, the Holy Spirit on the inside, and living that out. He says that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He says God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. He says I didn't come to bring bad news. I came to bring you good news that through him the world might be saved. It was meant to be personal. So today my question is this. Maybe you're like the shepherds as you're here, you know, just kind of doing your normal life. Then maybe today through something that was said or sung or maybe something you heard earlier, there was this message that kind of grabbed you right here. And you're like, oh, I'm thinking about it. What will your response be to the fact that Christmas happened? What will your response be to the fact that a Savior came for you? What will your response be? It's not good enough that it just happened. It happened for the whole world, but it has to matter for you personally. Will you respond like the shepherds did? Will you have that earnest desire to say, I got to know him for myself? He sent a Savior for you that you might be able to believe in, to trust in, to transfer your weight onto him and saying, you know what, Jesus, it's not what I've done. I simply 100% trust what you've done and allow that to change your life. And for those of you who've experienced that, man, the call is for us to share that with a world who so desperately needs to hear it. And I would encourage you, if you say, I have struggles, struggles sharing it, to just say, have I really experienced it for myself? Because, man, when you experience freedom, there is nothing better. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you, for, first of all, for preserving your word for us, that we'd have a chance to read it today and understand uh, from the inside what your hope and your desire is for us. Thank you, thank you for sending your son for me. When I didn't deserve it, when I couldn't earn it, you sent forgiveness and you sent salvation. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you for changing my life, Jesus. Just pray for every person in this place. Holy Spirit, I know that you're not limited to this, this, these four walls or this moment. But as we leave from this place, that you continue speaking and drawing on our hearts, each of us closer in our relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that over this next week, that you help us understand even greater what it is like to have relationship with you, just, just to be waking up and doing life every day with you, to know that you're good and to know that we're loved because you said so. We're thankful for that this, mo this morning. We give you praise for this opportunity to uh, celebrate you. It's in your name I pray today. Amen.